help me welcome back to the CL Bryant show. Buddy Pilgrim, thank you so much for being there, friend. Hey, CL, it is always a pleasure and an honor and a joy to be with you on the radio. Thank well, you. Thank you, buddy. You know, I wanted Michelle and I were talking about who could we get on today to talk about the impact of um, the evangelical vote on this election coming up here in 44 days. Buddy, talk to us about that. Well, I think it's absolutely critical. I long had a theory about why President Obama won the way he did in 2008 in particular, but again in 2012. And the reason I believe Obama won so strongly in the 08 is because uh, set aside all the issues about, about the historical aspect of him being the, the first black uh, candidate, the first black president, those kind of things. He was, by his own admission, a community organizer. For years in Chicago, that's what he did. And when he approached the presidential race, he approached it with a community organizing mindset. And he organized the country into communities of dissatisfied, disenfranchised people. He, he, and he pitted black versus white, young versus old, rich versus poor. And in my opinion, this is how create, he created a whole bunch of constituencies that everyone could see themselves fitting into one of more of those. So he organized communities of people, groups of people, to stir them up, and then he motivated them to go vote. Now, here's the reason I connect that to your question. In my opinion, the largest and longest-standing community of people that have a like-minded thing that connects them together is the Church of Jesus Christ. It is the Christian community. We're already there. We're already organized. We meet every week on Sunday, sometimes twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday. And that is why it is so important, because we're already there, to understand that we all have a common set of foundations, if we look to the Bible, that should guide our votes. So now what we need to do is have this massive group of people with these like-minded core beliefs get out and vote those beliefs. And we are large enough in number that we can swing any election, state, local, or national, if we will simply come out and vote and vote the Bible. Absolutely. And you know, buddy, uh, you are ordained minister of the gospel. Uh, I'm uh, ordained minister of the gospel and have pastored several, uh, three churches in, the, in, in this country. But uh, this is what I want to ask you, minister to minister, and I want to share this uh, minister to minister with uh, let's minister to uh, the audience right now. When we talk about uh, uh, phrases like this, president has been uh, the most supportive of the uh, of, of, of Christian faith in this country. Is that an accurate statement? And should that be something that should be presented to congregations as to the achievements of this president and the actions of this president toward the evangelical community? Speak to us about it. It's 100% accurate. And I was a big supporter of Reagan. I was a big supporter of Bush's. None of them even came close. Even Reagan could be in a supporter of the Christian community that Donald Trump has been. And it began at that meeting that you and I were at in New York City of Times Square at the Marriott Hotel in July of 2016 when Trump met with roughly a 1,000 evangelical leaders. And right before that was when he first learned about the Johnson Amendment. That was a puzzle on people of faith trying to keep them from speaking. And he said, you know, he said, you don't have as much freedom under the Johnson Amendment, and a pastor or a minister doesn't. That's just the average citizen. And he said, that's wrong. He said, I'm going to do something about that. So from the outset, he said to set us free in terms of our ability to speak our faith, 
and, and be inform other people based on different beliefs. But beyond that, and he's done that, he did that with an executive order. He, he gave instructions that the IRS would not enforce the Johnson Amendment as a hammer against people of faith and ministers. Then in addition to that, he supported Israel more strongly than any president ever has. He is, he is the one who moved uh, the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, although that's been a law that it should be done since Bill Clinton was president, but it's been most postponed every six months since Clinton was president. Trump got in, he did something about it. He's expanded uh, the view of, of uh, Israel's rights to the land that they have over there. He has uh, stood for the things that we stand for in our faith, in particular life. He's the most outspoken pro-life president of anyone that we've ever had. No president has ever talked about being opposed to abortion and in protection of life as much as Donald Trump. Let's see if we can... All of these things, I think, are are evidence of what he's done. Let's see if we can further motivate him, buddy. Man, I got to tell you, thank you for that, preacher. Because uh, this, this, I mean, really, so let's delve into this. There are a lot of churches, buddy, who are trying to uh, socially, in my opinion, engineer their congregations to have some type of, of white guilt over this thing that's, that's going on. Now, full disclosure, folks, I am a black conservative who is a Christian to the core. Now, my conservatism is, is, is conservatism, but my Christianity is absolutely complete. Uh, that's who I am. I, I am a follower of Christ. And I'm speaking to a fellow yeah. uh, believer uh, on, on the phone. And, 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 and so he's black. He's white. I'm black. And we're, we're talking from those two standpoints. And so I'm asking this question to him about what, this is, what is going on with this uh, coming from the pulpit. What, what's, what, what type of end game can there possibly be? And there's there a socialist end game in this, buddy Pilgrim. Talk to us. Oh, there is a socialist endgame in this. The left has absolutely gone off the rails in terms of where they want to take this country. They're led by Ocasio-Cortez. They're led by Bernie Sanders. Joe Biden will be able to stand up against that. Joe Biden, frankly, is far more left today, even by his own admission that he was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. The left is determined to turn this country into a socialist country. And the thing that ties that back to this discussion of Christianity is you can't implement socialism if you have a country that's strongly rooted in its faith, if you have Christian faith and Judeo-Christian values, both Jewish and Christian values, as the foundations of the country. The socialism operates when government becomes God instead of God being God. And so the first thing they have to do is destroy the religious foundations, and that's why we've seen this attack on religious belief and people of faith, in particular over the last eight to ten years where coaches get fired for praying on a football field and valedictorians are told they're not going to be able to say the word Jesus with God in a valedictory speech, or somebody who makes cupcakes is told that they're going to be run out of business if they don't endorse a gay wedding. Now, it's not enough to just allow those uh, homosexual weddings to occur. The left wants us to endorse it, embrace it, and say we love it, we think it should be done by anyone anywhere. So those things are what we're facing right now, tearing down the religious beliefs, in particular the Judeo-Christian foundations, is, is a first step to implementing socialism. And socialism never works because it concentrates power in the hands of a few. If people think that there's corruption today when you have tens of millions of capitalist businesses 
making financial decisions about the economy. You can't imagine how bad it's going to be when instead of tens of millions of individual business people, you have a few hundred or a few thousand politicians and bureaucrats making all of the economic decisions. You know, buddy, I uh, I want my special guest right now is uh, Buddy Pilgrim, former president of Pilgrim's Pride Chicken, uh, founder, CEO of Integrity Leadership. Buddy, talk to us about Integrity Leadership. Well, Integrity Leadership is a very focused ministry. I teach the word for the workplace. Uh, so I take biblical principles and apply them to our vocation. And it doesn't matter whether our vocation is as a minister, as a chicken processor, as a politician, as someone who works in a political campaign, as someone who runs a restaurant. No matter where your vocation, where you work, the Bible can guide you in the decisions that you need to make. So I apply it to every aspect of work. But in particular, I focus on it for for uh, political campaigns and, and for governing institutions around the country. Well, let me ask you this. How, if people wanted to learn more about it, um, Buddy Program, how would they get in touch with you and how would they get in, in involved with it? Well, they, they can look at my website, which is integrityleadership.org, integrityleadership, all one word, dot org. But in addition to that, I'm hosting a weekly television show on Victory, the Victory Channel, which is a, a network uh, owned by Kenneth Copeland Ministries. I have a weekly television show. It's on at 6.30 every Saturday night, and it's called Liberty Line. And if you're familiar with Mark Levin's Life, Liberty, and uh, Levin, it's similar in format to that in that I have guests on, and I, I have a single guest for the entire half-hour show. I usually have them on for more than one half-hour show, and we don't just touch on topics for five or ten minutes. We delve deeply into topics, and we talk about a Christian faith-based worldview for business and politics. And they can find me on Victory by going to Dish Channel uh Dish Channel 265, Direct TV Channel 366, or you can look it up at GoVictory.com and find all the different ways to watch on Roku and Apple TV, the Amazon Fire and all that. But Direct TV 366, Dish 265, every Saturday night at 6.30, Liberty Line. Sounds so interesting, and hey, we'll talk more about that uh, with Buddy Pilgrim. But Buddy, I have about, uh, and Buddy, I'll be talking to you offline here uh, in the next uh, couple of days. But I want to speak to you about the Abraham, uh, the Abrahamic um, co um, the compact that the, Abraham Accord, Accord, Accord that, yeah. they, that the president has uh, now implemented. What is the significance of the Abraham Accord, the Abrahamic Accord? That the, I, I think it's great that he named it the Abraham Accord. You know, uh, I listened to a clip of John Kerry over the weekend when he was Secretary of State under the Obama administration, and he said there will never be an Arab-Israeli peace agreement that doesn't first, first include the Palestinians. You have to have the Palestinians as a part of this. And Trump took a diametrically opposed view to creating an Arab-Israeli peace agreement. The Palestinians have never been really willing to, to have peace with Israel. Israel's given them land. They use the land to fire rockets into Israel and kill, and kill Israeli people. They've never been willing to put together a reasonable deal. So Trump said, 
forget the Palestinians. Let's go to the other Arab countries. First, he went to the UAE, United Arab Emirates. Then he went to Bahrain just recently, and he struck peace agreements between each of those two countries and Israel. I think the next place he's probably going to go and strike a formal peace agreement is with Saudi Arabia. He is going to surround the Palestinians, and he's going to surround Iran, which will never strike peace with Israel, with other Arab nations that will make peace agreements with Israel, and that's the most certain pathway to true peace in the Middle East. It was a brilliant strategy. I think it was as well. Uh, Buddy Pilgrim is my special guest. Buddy, uh, take about uh, two or three minutes. Be the watchman on the wall. Tell us uh, what the consequences of uh, Joe Biden becoming president uh, are all about. Please talk to his audience about that. Joe Biden would be the most devastating president that I believe we've had in the history of this nation. This is truly... Uh, a watershed election that's before us. It is the most important one we've ever had. The last one was important. This one's even more important because the left, as I've already said, is gone so left-leaning. They've already shown their hands about how uh, they're going to behave if they get in power again when Trump's talked about appointing another uh, judge to replace Ginsburg. Now, it's his presidential duty to do that. It's his presidential right to do that. Uh, for them to appoint one and for that person to be confirmed. The left has already said if there's a, a Trump appointee confirmed and they end up winning, Biden wins the White House, and if he wins the White House, it would be more likely that they won the Senate. That's why I think if Trump wins the White House, it's more likely that Republicans keep the Senate. So I think we have both of those in play together, the White House and the Senate. And the the left has already said if Biden wins the White House and they win the Senate, they already have the uh, House of Representatives, and they wouldn't lose that if, if those other two things happen. They will move immediately to change the number of seats on the Supreme Court from 9 to either 12 or 15, and they will pack that court with ultra-liberal ideological judges, not constitutionalist judges. That would be the most devastating thing to the uh, to the future of this country because the left already believes that things that they can't get passed through a legislative agenda, they will force through by putting liberal judges in place. And it, so it would be devastating to have that happen. We are on the verge of almost losing the constitutional republic that we have, and that's why we've seen riots in the streets and all of these things over the last few months because these are anarchists that hate America, they hate capitalism, they hate freedom. They're under this naive idea that socialism is a better governing system for a, for an or, for a country, and it's wrong. The Black Lives Matters organization is not about black people mattering. It's not about the life of a black person mattering. Black Lives Matters is a Marxist, socialist, political movement that's using that title because it sounds attractive to people who think they want to stand up for oppressed people. Well, but ultimately, Marxism will oppress all of the people in this country except the very, very elite well, at the top. Watchman on the wall today, it was my good friend, uh, Buddy Pilgrim, L. Buddy Pilgrim. I, I want to thank you uh, for being there. I want you to thank you for fighting the good fight. And I know that you will continue to do that because you are fighting the good fight. Buddy, like I told you, I'll be in contact with you here in the next 24, 48 hours. I certainly do appreciate you again uh, for being on with me here today.